As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Support for the Heel Tough Blog podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Look, guys, we've all been there. We've all been trimming. All of a sudden, we clip something we don't want to clip. You don't want to do that. Make sure you take care of your downstairs area, just like the Tar Heels have to make sure they take care of Sam Howell. We don't want to have to put the backup in. And guess what? There's no backup for your balls. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. That's right, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and come on guys, don't use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls, let's just be honest, that is disgusting. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, so you don't have to use any of those powders or whatever, you already put deodorant on your armpits, why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Right now you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS, that's all one word, BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Always use the right tool for the job, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BIGHEADS to get your Manscaped product today. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds! The game is over! And Carolina has won the game! Finley to throw. Over the middle, intercepted, Wolfuck again! Wolfuck the other way! At the 30, the 40, Wolfuck to midfield! Miles Wolfuck with the pick, the heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory! Left side of the line, Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw, one-on-one, Davis! Has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Big Heads Media Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata and Josh Marlowe with you guys, as always. 
and we are ready to uh, preview the game against Mercer. Uh, it'll be senior day in Keenan Stadium on Saturday, and the Tar Heels get ready to face off against what has become their yearly uh, FCS opponent. Um, of course, the last couple of seasons, it's been uh, Western Carolina. This year, it will be the Mercer Bears. So we're going to uh, get into that, but first, we will begin with the opening drive here today where we will talk about Mitch Trubisky and what's going on for him uh, with the Chicago Bears. So we'll start by letting you guys listen to a clip of the Michael Lombardi podcast. Uh, him and Adnan Verk have a podcast. Uh, I believe it's called the GM Tales or something like that. Um, and he had a very bold opinion of Mitch. Uh, this was actually f- uh, filmed, or not filmed, but taped during uh, d- during halftime of the game on Sunday night. Uh, take a listen. This is crap. This is fucking crap. The guy's got 20 passes for 100 yards, and he's talking about footwork. Footwork? It ain't footwork. He can't play. He can't play. Like, that's the end of him. At some point, can't we call a spade a spade on television? You make $8 million a year. Can't you educate America and tell this guy, look, he can't read it. He can't process. He's not good. He's why the Bears are terrible. Can't we do that? Isn't it fair to us as a consumer to tell us this? 12 of 24, 101 yards, one interception. But you're right, Mike. Who cares about the numbers? If you just watch five minutes of the game, you go, oh, my God. Like, it's not like the Rams' defense are these world beaters. And all of a sudden, Trubisky can't do anything. And you're right. After a while, it becomes excuses. It becomes, wow, the weather, the bye week, the team they're playing, the receiver. No, no, no. Ultimately, he's not very good. And here's the biggest shock to me, Mike, is anybody who says, well, let's see how the rest of the few games go. No, no, no. We have seen enough of a sample size. Have we not collectively to know Mitchell Trubisky is never going to be a star in the NFL. He's not even going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Pretty harsh stuff there from uh, Michael Lombardi. And, uh, buddy, I'll I'll welcome you in on this. Uh, It has not been the greatest year for the former Tar Heel quarterback who at the moment still holds the school record for touchdown passes in a season. So the ultimate question that we're going to kind of discuss here to open up this podcast is, do you think that Mitch Trubisky's time in Chicago is done or at least nearing its end? I feel like it's, <clears throat> I feel like it's done. Um, and it's not completely his fault. I think Chicago's got to look at where they stand as a team. It's a team that was poised to make a run at win the Super Bowl with what they had on defense. You you had pretty much a lot of your same core on offense last year that put up some some numbers at times. And I think they're going to look at themselves. I think if they can trade for Cam Newton, which is a big topic here in Charlotte, that maybe puts them over the top of the quarterback position to go get that Super Bowl for the first time since 85. But look, a lot of it, Mitch Mitch didn't progress this year like he needed to. You were 12-4 and last year, hosted a playoff game. You lost on a, on a missed field goal to, to lose to Philadelphia. And you were supposed to take the next step. His development didn't do that. And you're seeing other guys that he was drafted in. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, these guys have gotten better every year they've been in the league. Mr. Trubisky hasn't, and it's, and it's, it's all come to fold with his latest performance on Sunday Night Football where he did not look good. Well, I mean, look, you know, comparing him to the, to the other guys that were drafted after him is, is definitely um, something that, you know, I think is kind of weighing on his mind a little bit and, you know, maybe is putting a little bit of extra pressure that he doesn't necessarily have to put on himself because, uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit 
last night and a little bit even while we were watching the game on Sunday night. Um, I mean, you know, how is it Mitch's fault that he was drafted ahead of these other guys? You can't really worry about that if you're Mitch. You need to just kind of focus on, look, I need to do what I'm doing. I'm not worried about what these other guys are, are out there doing. If they're putting up better numbers than me, that's fine. But here's the thing, you know, there's nothing that I can do to control it. How? Why am I supposed to apologize for getting drafted ahead of these guys? And I mean, you know, you say Mahomes has progressed. I mean, I, has Mahomes really progressed this year from last year? I mean, to be fair, last year was a ridiculous year. I don't know if Mahomes can progress. I think Mahomes is literally just Patrick Mahomes right now. He's just that good. Uh, but Deshaun Watson, I think, you know, is, is showing people that. He's definitely a guy that people were sleeping on a little bit. I mean, including myself. You know, I was a guy that was a little concerned with his turnover issues that he had at times at Clemson. Um, Health was another big issue for him. But, you know, I think, you know, did we maybe just kind of overlook it because of how good his one year was at Carolina? Did did maybe we, we just kind of expected a little bit too much of him too soon with the fact that he only started one year in college and expected him to come in and as the number two player that was drafted in the 2017 draft be this superstar quarterback for Chicago? I mean, he was clearly overdrafted. We said that at the time when he was drafted number two. Remember, Chicago gave up a lot. To move up one spot. To go from three to two, and the Niners weren't taking him at two. Um, He he could have been there at three. And, And look, Trubisky had a really good year, his one year in Chapel Hill. Set a lot of school passing yard records. I've harped on this a lot. He couldn't beat Duke and NC State. Wasn't all his fault. And that's something that you gotta you gotta look at as a when you're evaluating is if you're really good, you're gonna lift your team over mediocre opponents, and he wasn't able to do that. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson was going to lose that game. Mahomes had a different case because he put up 60 every week and still couldn't win. Not really his fault. But Trubisky, like those are games that you know you're you're expected to win for number two pick, and he hasn't translated into the NFL in terms of winning some of those marquee games. They beat up last year on mediocre teams, and this year they have they've struggled to beat the mediocre teams as well. So. It's just, yeah, they looked into the first year and they saw a lot of potential, but that potential needed to be with a lot of progression in the offseason. You haven't seen that. Oh, I, I mean, I can't I, – I have to disagree with you on the fact of not beating State and Duke. I mean, look, it's, it is true. It's not – clearly not all his fault. I mean, the game against Duke back in 2016 only scored 14 points in that game. You know, I, I don't know. That would be a game that I think you could put a little more on him. But, I mean, against NC State, you get down 21 nothing. It was pretty hard to come back. I mean, the defense came out with just no energy in that game, and Mitch made some great throws to give Carolina even a shot in that game. So, I, I mean, I'd have to disagree with that point. But, um, yeah, no, I think, you know, when you look at, at Mahomes and Watson, these were guys that were proven. Um, you know, they, they had been three, four-year starters in you know at their respective schools. I mean, these are, you know, the, you look at them now, that's the reason that they're so advanced. And I also think the situations that they've gotten put in kind of worked out pretty good for them. Um, you know, I think Deshaun Watson, what he's doing is, is just really impressive because let's be real honest, I mean, do – do either one of us have a real high opinion of Bill O'Brien as as a head coach in the NFL? I, I I mean, I'm not really overly impressed by what he's done. I think Deshaun's kind of working with uh, what he's got. I mean, now granted, he's he's got De, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who's one of the best in the league, but 
mean, also, you know, you look at, you know, with, with Mahomes, I mean, he's got Andy Reid. Do you think that if, if that was Trubisky that he would be, you know, a better quarterback now if he was with Andy Reid than he is with Matt Nagy? I think he'd be better. I don't think he's – a top two, three tier quarterback in the league. I think oh, he's well, what I'm he is. Well, I'm not saying that he's Mahomes. Okay. Well, well I'm not saying that either. Mahomes he's not. He's, he's he's not even in the top 15, 16 starters in the National Football League. That's fact. Well, I mean, if you're going to put him on, if you're willing um, to put him on the bench, then clearly I would, I would say no. So, yes. um, and I, I I don't know. Look, Andy Reid's a good quarterback. I don't know if the problems that are with Trubisky he could fix in one year or two year. Same with Bill O'Brien. Matt Nagy is supposed to be a quarterback whisperer this offensive guru and he can't he can't get through to him in his second year so what's that telling you i mean it could tell you one of two things matt Nagy's really not as good of a coach as we thought or mitch trubisky's a limited quarterback i mean it, it, it could be true i mean you look at what he did last year though his numbers were pretty pretty good i mean he's not a guy that is going to I mean look I think he's not an elite quarterback but he's a guy that can that can manage games enough to 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 win if you have the right pieces around him. I the mean, problem is is that he's not going to put a team on his back and go win games. And I'll do it from from time to time but mostly it's going to be against opponents that you're playing in the regular season and you will more than likely not see in the postseason. A la Tampa Bay last year when he threw six touchdowns. Um you know his his performance. Uh, you know a week ago against Detroit. I mean that's that. Those are the types of opponents that he's going to put it up against. Not against the opponents that you're going to need him. Although I mean, look, he he played he played pretty well last year against Philadelphia. Um, you know, especially late in the game, it was just you know the the missed field goal definitely hurt him. Um, but I mean, you know, I I think. I mean, there's, to me, I don't think Trubisky's the biggest problem with the Bears. There's some legitimate issues w- with that team, especially on the offensive line. They don't have the running game that they had a year ago. Jordan Howard, you know, he, w- we thought he took a step back last year in Chicago, but, man, we're seeing now that without him, they, they just don't – that team is nowhere near the same, and they need a running game to be successful. Um, I mean, Trubisky, you look at Trubisky's numbers this year, 62.4 completion percentage. Not, not awful, still pretty pretty good. Um, He's thrown for 1,580 yards, nine touchdowns, four interceptions. But, I mean, we kind of talked about the stats that stick out. Yards per attempt, 5.6 per game. Yards per completion, nine per game. Uh, Yards per game, 175.6. That's not going to really get it done in the modern NFL. Um, And then this is is the thing that kind of shocks me the most. So far this season, he has just 15 carries for five uh, for 58 yards and no touchdowns. All of those numbers that we just read off after the touchdown interception ratio, all career lows. And I thought, you know, especially the rushing, that was something that, you know, he, he was so good at a year ago. He was at one time one of the leading rushers amongst quarterbacks, actually led the league at one time amongst quarterbacks, and now that part of his game has just seemed to disappear. So uh, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, what what do you think the recipe is for, for him going forward? Do you think that he's a guy? I mean, I know what my scenario is. I put it out on social media the other night. Well, I mean. Uh, he needs to go be a backup. He, he's he's a backup quarterback in the NFL. He's not a guy that's going to be able to start you 16 games, take you to the playoffs. Not without having a lot around him. 
which means you're going to have a good running game, some good receivers, and a pretty good defense. And there's nothing wrong with him being a career backup. Hell, Chase Daniels made $34 million being a career backup. So you still, you still become a millionaire doing it. But he's just not a starter in the NFL. And there's a lot of quarterbacks that are starting in this league that aren't starters, and that's okay. But going forward, I think it's best for Chicago to move on, let him go, get in a system where he can learn and develop, whether it's in New Orleans or maybe uh, Kansas City in a backup situation, something like that, where he can develop, and then maybe in two to three years he can be a starter again. good thing is he's still young, so you give him a couple of times. So, so you're looking at you know going somewhere, gaining a little bit of confidence, and then potentially making a run at being a starter again. Yeah, in a you're couple of years. You're not saying that he's – this is it. He's there's zero percent chance that he will ever be a starter. I mean, at you know, the NFL level. he could go start in Miami, but he's not going to do anything well, there. Well, no, no, that's not no because I'm <clears throat> I'm agreeing with you. So, I think that what they need, he needs to find one of those spots where he can sit behind a veteran and learn, which is probably what should have happened to begin with for him. Because you remember coming into that draft, the place that I wanted him to go was New Orleans, sit behind Drew Brees. That didn't seem, you know, unfortunately, Chicago thought differently. They wanted him to come in and start. Remember, they originally wanted him to sit behind Mike Glennon. I don't know why you would want anybody to learn from him. That's arguably one of the worst quarterbacks that's ever stepped on a on, on an NFL field. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think if he could go to a place, you know, and I mean, a lot of people were bringing up the same ones that we were talking about at that time, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, New England, uh, as well as L.A. And, I mean, we saw last night with the Chargers, Phillip Rivers definitely looks like he's nearing the end. So I don't know if that would really be the best scenario for Mitch. Maybe sitting behind Tyrod Taylor wouldn't be the worst thing uh, for Mitch, especially with the fact that he was so effective with his legs a year ago. Um, But, I mean, you know, is there one location that you would pick out of him? Because I, I, I think Atlanta would be the best fit for him. Behind Matt Ryan, who's starting to get up there but isn't quite up at that point where you're saying, okay, we're keeping him on retirement watch in the next year or two. I still think he's probably three or four years away. But I think that, you know, that would be a good spot for Mitch to learn behind a guy and Matt Ryan that, you know, let, let's be real honest. You know, he was a guy at the college level that kind of had one year at Boston College where he was really great. And he had to come into the NFL. I, th- I mean, he clearly had a little bit of su- a little bit more success early on in his career than Mitch did. But I, I think that'd be a pretty good situation for him. Yeah, I mean, any of those places, like you said, where you got a veteran, proven quarterback where he can learn and develop – Fix a lot of his mechanical issues that got brought up the other night on the broadcast with his footwork and stuff like that is going to be what's going to be best for him. And maybe in two to three years, he he gets a little bit older, more matures, can read the defense a little bit better. He'll be able to be a productive quarterback in the NFL. It's just not going to be in Chicago. There you go. So there's your Mitch Trubisky talk. Uh, I am assuming you hope he doesn't end up at another location that someone brought up. Green Bay, backing up Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's he fine might, because he, because he, Mr. Whiskey is not built to win in the elements. So he can go there and he'll, he'll still suck. So he can uh, go to Green Bay. There we go. That's fine. There we go. All right. So uh, now we turn to Mercer. 
Tar Heels uh, face what is now a must-win senior day. Um, they have to win this game in order to have any shot of making a bowl game, um, which we think they will because Mercer is a team that comes in struggling. Their record four and seven on the season. Uh, I was getting it mixed up. Some people were saying five and six, others were saying four and seven. Their official site has them at four and seven so far this season. So we're gonna go with that. Um, so it definitely has not been a great year for the Mercer Bears. They come in to Chapel Hill looking like what what will be a packed stadium for the sixth time this season. Tar Heels are looking to make it six out of six sellouts. And I mean, what they're like a couple hundred tickets away from selling that game out. So I mean, yeah, they're they're going to get that done before the game kicks off on Saturday. Um, and, of course, you know, with it being Senior Day, a lot of uh, big-time seniors will be getting honored, highlighted by guys like Miles Dorn, Dominique Ross. Um, I believe Patrice Renee is going to get honored as well, but we'll see. I think he's still going to probably come back next year. Antonio Williams, Alan Cater, uh, as well as Jason Strobridge, Nick Polino, um, and Carl Tucker, as well as uh, Aaron Crawford, just to name a few couple other guys up there. We'll have that official list for you um, when we put out the uh, actual preview you um, because there will be some guys that you know are are walk-ons that you know are gra- in graduating from the school um, and they'll end up you know eventually leaving the team uh, but on you know listed on the website due to their football eligibility uh, they're listed a little bit differently so when we get that full list we'll of course uh, put that out there for you guys so I mean this game it's a must win, but this feels like one that uh, the Tar Heels shouldn't really have much trouble in. Uh, Mercer is is not your. Uh, it, we're not going to be facing off against an FCS opponent like uh, North Dakota State or anything in this one. Yeah, if Carolina struggles this Saturday, that really <clears throat> underlines the problems that are on this football team, or really magnifies the issues. But needless to say, it's still a big game because if you want to go to a bowl game, you still got to execute. You still got to win. Um, this is a good game, though, for some units to really get some good work in. The offensive line wasn't overly bad against Pittsburgh because you look at what well, they gave up five sacks, but they also allowed the team to run for 136 yards against one of the best running defenses in college football. Right. But the defensive line had its worst performance of the year. They really struggled uh, to get pressure on the quarterback and allowed a, uh, Kenny Pickett, who's not known for throwing the football, to look like an All-American back there for most of the night. Oh, yeah. And and, and that's what the focus has got to be is you get ready for NC State is just trying to get everything else worked out for that final game. So when you go to Raleigh, you're as prepared as you can be to go to a bowl game for the first time in three years. And look, this team is still – Right where they're kind of where everyone thought they were going to be. Most major outlets had them winning four games. They've gotten there. So if you win this Saturday, you've exceeded a lot of expectations from the national media, and you have yourself positioned to go go bowling and a beat a rival for the first time in three years. But it starts Saturday. Um, it'll be a little emotional for a lot of the guys because it is their final game in Keenan Stadium. Mm-hmm. You got to kind of move on past that and go play football. Well, I mean, look, Mercer uh, is not going to be. The over, an overly daunting opponent. I mean, they score relatively well, 28.7 points per game uh, so far this season. But look, I mean, defensively, a team that allows 33.5 points per game. They allow over 250 yards per game on the ground, which is horrifically bad. I mean, we, we've had some bad run defenses at Carolina 
over the last couple of seasons, you know, under Larry Fedora, n- never reached that point. That is really bad defense against the run. Uh, so Carolina should have no trouble running the football. Um, they also allow 207 yards through the air. Of course, we've seen that the Tar Heels have sort of started to get uh, into a rhythm there. Uh, there's really not, I mean, let's be honest, we don't know a ton about Mercer. Um, I mean, you know, they're starting quarterback, uh, Robert Riddle, um, you know, so far this season. I know a lot about a him. Over, little over 1,000 yards. Give it to the expert opinion on Robert Riddle. Well, I broke down and, and watched some film on the Bears the other day. Oh, my gosh. He's a guy that's going to excel outside the pocket, um, very mobile athlete. Kind of see now me, you're see don't say this because you're reminds giving, me of RG three a little so bit. So you're scaring our fan base. Now yeah. I don't know crap about Mercer other than the fact that they're four and seven. They look like they you you said this. They look like they split quarterbacks or maybe they went with one guy early in the year and now go are, are going with a, a different quarterback. Or the other guy is just that fragile and gets hurt every other game. That's a good point. Uh, so Tua 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 yeah. Um, I mean, look, you know, running the football, uh, they do have a pretty good running back. Tyree uh, DeVenzen uh, is his name, I believe. Uh, 194 carries on the season, 949 yards, and 11 touchdowns. So that's that's going to be their go-to guy for, for most of the game. They're going to try to run the ball. Um, and Carolina's got to be ready for that. Unfortunately for Carolina, that's one of their areas that they've struggled over the last few weeks, really since that first bye. That game against... Virginia Tech really seemed to set things off. Once Quincy Patterson had the success that he did on the ground against the Tar Heels, that unit really just hasn't been the same. That front seven hasn't been as effective with slowing down the run. It still hasn't been terrible. It's nowhere near as, as bad as it's been in the past few seasons, but uh, I, you know there's still uh, some, some concerns there. So, look, that's pretty much what we're going to focus on with Mercer. Let's now focus on the Tar Heel side of things here. Um, you know, I mean, look, the passing game, it's hit its stride now. Thrown for over 300 yards in four of the last five, five of the last seven. Uh, five straight games with an average of 10 yards per reception or more. And also two straight games where we've seen a wide receiver go over 150 yards. So this group is starting to settle in. We kind of talked about it on the recap podcast uh, from the Pittsburgh game. I mean, this is a unit that's pretty much staying completely together next year, but this is huge for this Tar Heel offense that this passing game is progressing the way that we were hoping it would throughout the season and now is culminating in, in a passing game that's just about as lethal as any in the ACC for sure and starting to get up there in the country. Yeah, you've seen Phil Longo trust Sam Howell in between the 20s to throw the football, uh, whether it's vertically or in the short passing game. The guys have, uh, and the, I think the biggest thing was you finally got a rotation of receivers that you stuck with. You're not interchanging guys every other series. You know who's going to be out there. You're going to have Bo, Diami, and Daz Newsom. And those are your three uh, best guys yeah. right now. Yes, and, for and, sure. And I think that that really helps because now you okay you can game plan for what all three of those guys want to do best in their route running, mm-hmm. and. You've seen Sam Howell when the offensive line has given him time. He's smart enough to make the correct read and make the right throws. 
And this offense, at least in between the 20s, looks like what we thought it was going to be when we hired Phil Longo and what the vision of this whole Oklahoma-style offense was going to be, which is every time that we throw the football, there's a chance it can go to the house. Yeah. And that's and that's something that you've missed the last couple of years because of whether it was limited quarterback play or just not having a lot of talent at the receiver position, that's fixed. Every time that Sam gets the ball to Newsom or, or Deami, it feels like it's a big play because they're running free. And it's really opened up the uh, the running game, which even, you know, uh, Antonio Williams got on the act last week, had over 100 yards for, I think, the first time in his Carolina career. And so this offense is now – and we talked about this all year long. It would probably be about November before we saw what this offense was going to be, right. which was, you know, where it could put up 450 yards of offense and 30 points every week. And that's where we're at now where we know they're going to score. It's just can we stop the other team from scoring. By the way, uh, Antonio Williams, that's the third time in his Carolina career that he has gone over 100 yards. Stop. Went, went over 100 yards last year against Syracuse and then went over 100 yards last year against Pittsburgh as well. So he does have Pittsburgh's number. Also remember he was very close, had 96 yards against ECU before getting ejected in that first half. So he might likely would have reached it then as well. Uh, yeah, he had, I mean, he had a good year last year. Uh, just kind of some inconsistencies, probably a little bit of the reason why he's not solidly in the rotation right now. But of course, um, you never really know. We could still see him in the rotation a little bit. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, you know, with the back focusing on on the passing game. You know, I think that the best thing that we've seen is that the last two years in particular, we have not seen any semblance of a deep passing game. That has been non-existent with Chaz Surratt and Nathan Elliott at quarterback, as well as Brandon Harris, which, I mean, you know, I think we all try to forget about that. But yes, there was a period of time where Brandon Harris was the starting quarterback for the Tar Heels, and uh, neither one of those three was able to continue what we saw in 2015 and 2016. And that's something that when you look back at at both Mitch and Marquise, they did such a good job of getting the ball downfield for those big plays, and that's what drove that offense down the field. Yeah, you know, there were times where they could dink and dunk, particularly Mitch, and, and we've seen that from Sam as well, but you've seen over these last couple of weeks when that deep passing game can start to open up, and guys like Bo Corrales and De'Ami Brown particularly, but also Daz Newsom are able to get deep behind these safeties and behind these corners, they can really wreak havoc. And we knew that these guys had that ability. It's starting to show now what we had talked about on this podcast last year was that the offense was limited by its quarterback. That's being proven now. Um, with the guy in Sam Howell in there now that's got a, a huge arm, is a guy that, you know, people are pushing for. As, I mean, he looks like he's definitely on the way to winning Rookie of the Year. Uh, could be, you know, in the running for ACC Player of the Year. It just kind of all depends on how everything else works out throughout the rest of the conference. Um, you know, I, I think it's showing that this, this passing game is kind of where they want it to be. Mac Brown wants a passing game that is going to be like Oklahoma's where, yeah, they can come out and throw for 350 yards if they really want to a game. And I think he's got the right quarterback to do that. Um I mean, a couple missed deep throws by Howell against Pittsburgh. No concern, really, from you, right? I mean, I'm not overly concerned about it at all because he's been making those deep throws all season. Having one off game, to me, really isn't 
a huge concern, but I've seen some people saying there there were there there were people on social media saying that he needs to get better with his deep ball accuracy, which I was like, are you kidding? Have you just not watched any of these other games? I mean, you, you're not concerned about Sam throwing the ball deep, right? I mean. And that, that that 60 minutes of game, yeah, I was concerned, but that was in the context of wanting to win, to have a, a not have to win the final two games to go to a bowl game, but no, look. This guy has as good a deep ball as, as you're going to find in, in this ACC and uh, eventually the entire country because he's that good. Um, it sucked that he missed a couple throws Thursday night. He'd like to have them back, as you like to say, when you, in, 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 right. in the football world, but. I mean, look, you're not always going to connect on him unless you're Patrick Mahomes. So um, the fact that those fans are complaining about his deep ball accuracy, go back and watch the tape and look at the throws he's made since South Carolina. A classic Dean Smith. Run the tape. Yeah, run the tape. There you I go. Mean, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's no, that, I agree. that's just fans wanting – I can't use the word I want to use here. Just nitpicking. Yeah, they just nitpicking at the littlest stuff. Which yeah. it pisses me off because I like to complain. I'm a noted complainer. It, it is true. But like it, it when you're going true. to that level, then I gotta up well, my complaint level. Then you're just you're not even using facts. <clears throat> like we said this so many times this season with him. He is the best deep ball thrower that we have seen at Carolina. Now we don't know about back in the nineties, guys like Chris Kildorf, uh guys in the eighties like Matt Kupek. And so we we weren't there to see that in person. I'll, but from the gosh stop. I'll, I'll I'll be back next week with an answer on stop. that when I but doubt, fr- get into the fifth. Oh my God! But from our, you know, just from the guys that we've seen, T.J. Yates, Brent Renner, as well as Mitch Trubisky, Marquise Williams, some of the other guys that have been kind of straggled in between. I mean, he looks like the best thrower of the deep ball that we've seen, and the kid's only a true freshman. And here's my thing: I mean, he's no Cam Sexton, but he's got Uh, he's got room to grow. Oh my goodness! Our boy Tanner, that's his favorite quarterback right there, Cam Sexton. Cam Sexton. Uh, No, Cam. Cam. Hey, look, Cam Sexton beat Notre Dame, so we can't make fun of Cam Sexton. He he did what he was supposed to do. Um, Braden Hanson, also phenomenal. Uh, But yeah, um, see now you got me off track there. Just naming random Carolina quarterbacks that we know offhand. Uh, but, I mean, here's my thing. If that's his version of freshman fre- freshman mistakes is missing on a couple of deep balls, I could take that. I, I mean, that I'd rather him miss on a couple of deep passes than throw a whole bunch of interceptions in a game or anything like that. I mean, that that's pretty much... You know my opinion of it. I don't. I don't think there's anything to be too concerned about. Now there is something to be concerned about when it comes to the red zone offense, which is just right now a complete mess. Uh, the Tariels have scored a touchdown on just one of their last ten red zone attempts so far this season. They rank 113th in the country in red zone offense, just 19 of 39, which uh, settles at a 48.7 percent touchdown conversion rate in the red zone. Um, I mean, not not good. We say field goals don't win games, and when you have a field goal kicker that has been hit and miss at times, now granted he's been a lot better since coming back from his benching after the Virginia Tech game, but still, uh, that's not really a recipe to have a ton of success. No, and we knew when we made the hire that this was an issue at Ole Miss. And we've seen it now become an issue here at Carolina. I tweeted this out during the Pittsburgh game the other night. 
Mac Brown's not going to fire Phil Longo. Oh, I don't think so. And I, there's a lot of fans that want him fired because of the issues in the red zone. There is going to be an off-season long discussion about his play calling in terms of it'll. They'll probably go through the film game by game, and he and Mac Brown will critique the situational plays. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem is. Sometimes, like the fourth and one play, you're trying to pull a left guard or whatever he did there. Yeah, yeah. Situationally, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Not a fan of that at all. And a lot of it is because, yeah, the field's a lot more condensed and they and they can. There's not as much field to cover. I get that. It's your job to find the right plays to get these guys open for your quarterback to make the throws because they've been able to run the ball in the red zone. They just haven't been able to throw the ball into the end zone unless unless they're throwing the one route to Bo Corrales, which is fine. Which we need to see more of that but you're not because gonna, that's worked You're out. not going to pull a Steve Spurrier from 07 at South Carolina where you run four fade routes the whole entire time you're in the red zone. Not going to happen. And that, that's the problem is right. that there's got to be more creativity in the red zone. There's got to be a little bit more, I don't know, just some movement, whether – it really sucks that they've got to find a way to get a tight end involved in this offense because yeah. that's where the tight end would do work yeah. is in the red zone. Yeah, Garrett Walston's a guy that, I mean, we've seen some flashes but haven't really seen anything consistent. Um, I mean, now you're, you're heading towards the end of the season. I mean, you got three guys that are leaving. I think I think Brandon Fritz not being able to play again this year with a knee injury, I think that was huge because he would have been that guy in the red zone. We saw it back in 2017. You know, he, he was the go-to guy for Chaz Surratt in the red zone, and that worked out really well. I mean, remember the game against Louisville that he had a huge game. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, I mean, they definitely came in with the concerns. I mean, we heard it from Ole Miss fans when we made the hire that it was going to be a concern, you know, last two years at, at Ole Miss. I mean, he was only there two years, but his two years at Ole Miss, 55.8% in the red zone. In his first season back in 2017, last year in 2018 it dropped to 50%, and now this year it's dropped to 48%. So, yeah, I think Mac Brown's going to have to have a serious conversation with him. And I'm with you. I don't think they're going to fire him, but, you know, I mean, it's going to be hard to fire a guy that could have an offense that's averaging somewhere in the 450s in yards per game. Because, I mean, this this offense looks like it's set up for another big year next year unless just we're, we're missing, you know, we, we don't know something about one of these guys potentially going to the NFL draft early or something like that. But this this unit looks like it's going to be mostly intact again next year and, and is going to be able to move the ball. Um, you talked about running the ball well inside the red zone. I think they have at times, but somehow they only have four red zone rushing touchdowns all season. I don't I I just don't understand how that's even really possible with the guys that you have in your backfield right now. Well, it's because like I said, there's less ground to cover. I, when I meant this that they can run the ball in the red zones, they've been able to move it because the red zone of course starts at the 20 if you didn't know that. So they can get it no. inside the 10 or the 5. Okay. It's okay. just when they get okay. in it's just when they get there in there, there they're what having a smart aleck response. They're, right. they're they're having issues and I saw a lot of this last year with my Dallas Cowboys. They were the second-to-worst last uh, red zone offense in the National Football League with a bunch of talent as well. And a lot of it is just – and a lot of it was play calling. And that's here where it's just he's got to find the right set of plays that once you get inside the 20 and then inside the 10 that you're going to run. Whether it's pick routes on the outside, but you designed where they don't necessarily pick the guy, where the two guys aren't running you, into you each let other. You the defender run yes. to his own guy. Um, mm-hmm. Or you, you know, I, I don't know. 
I would like to see some under center offense. I, I don't know if that would fix anything, I mean, but I feel like it'd be a lot effective. better for the running game because right. you're not in the shotgun. Then you're you're having to grab the ball six seven yards deep and then try to run. Well, it's been at least I'm getting downhill in the limited snaps that we've seen. And the other thing that I think hurts this a little bit is that basically they've told us that Sam Howell is not a running option. Because of the fact that we don't have Jace Reuter. I mean, it seems like at this point he's not coming back the rest of this year. Um, I don't know. You know, he's he's already taken the red shirt. So unless he's going to get a medical red shirt for this year, I, I don't know why. If he's able to play, I, I, I would give him a chance uh, to at least back up Sam. But that, it, to me, that's something that's hurt this, this offense as well is, I mean, Again, you know, there's people that are saying Sam Howell can't run at all from what we've seen. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, that's most of the time that we've seen Sam Howell run, they are not designed runs. When we've seen designed runs from him, he can pick up seven, eight yards easily and at other times break into the open field. I mean, I think once you have a healthy backup behind him, maybe bringing the read option could help this offense a little bit, especially down in the red zone? I mean, am I, am I wrong to think that? It, it wouldn't hurt. I understand why you're not running Hal because if you oh, it makes he gets sense. hurt, yeah. you're using a walk-off. No offense to Vincent Amendola. We just, you know, we uh, like to keep Sam in there. The easiest solution is the offseason. Phil Long needs to come to my house and let him Here see what I do with Sam Howell on NCAA 14. Here we go. Because I don't have any problems when I get inside the 20 putting the ball in the end zone. And maybe he can just learn a thing or two from an innovative offensive mind like myself that he could take over into the real world. Are you done? Are you done with that? I thought that was pretty good. That was terrible. That I, was I, I thought that was that pretty was good awful. advice. Again, we're just speculating here. We uh, we we don't call plays for a living. You you call plays for a video game. A little bit different. Um, but I mean, number one offense in the game. So congratulations. You're playing against com- the, the computer. So con- congratulations on that. Uh, I, I think at this point, if you're not scoring 100% touchdowns in the red zone on that game, you probably should give up. Uh, it's it's really pretty easy. Um, I mean, I'm you know with the red, I like. I would like to see – see, I like your under center stuff, but I'd like to see also with the under center more rollouts because that's where you create those natural pick plays as well. We haven't seen a lot of that, and I, I think you're right. You know, there's been certain games where we've seen a tight end stand up, and, I mean, look at the game against Virginia Tech. Garrett Walston had a pretty solid game. They were able to put it in the end zone and for the most part early on in the game. And we saw that with Daz Newsome as well. He had one of those plays where Sam was on the rollout and he ends up getting it out to him. I think that's kind of what you've got to do to get creative down in the red zone. Um, you know, and I mean, look, I'm not a guy that's opposed to seeing more jump balls for Bo Corrales either. Um, I mean, they went to it quite, quite often. Uh, the other night against Pittsburgh, uh, just, you know, Pittsburgh started to pick up on it. So, look, that can't be your only play that you run in the red zone, but it's definitely one that uh, you want to pull out at least once or twice whenever you get down there. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be one of the main focuses uh, of the staff as we get into the offseason. Uh, one of the other main focuses of the staff uh, in the offseason will definitely be to try to rebuild an offensive line, or excuse me, a defensive line that will lose Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge. Right now, that defense is struggling. Those are the two guys that are leaving at the end of the year, and those are the two guys that are playing the best on the defensive line right now. Um, granted, the, the, the unit's struggling, but, uh, I mean, we talked about this on the recap podcast. Um 
just the other day. At this point, it's not even really Strobridge and Crawford that are are the issues. They're getting doubled. Uh, I mean, you know, they're they're pretty much. Teams are scheming to take away those two guys, and they're saying find someone else that can get in there and provide pressure. And Carolina know, doesn't have it. They don't have it right now. Timon Fox, as we've said, he's had those games where he's had flurries and looked good, just hasn't been able to make consistent. Tyrone Hopper, Allen Cater, they just haven't really been able to figure it out at outside linebacker. They've been okay, not great. Um, now, Cater, of course, will leave, but Timon Fox and uh, Tyrone Hopper will be back next year. And none. One, one of the other things, none of the young guys have really emerged so far. I mean, Tamari Fox was playing pretty significantly earlier in the season. Haven't really seen a lot of him as we've gone on throughout the season. A lot more Raymond Voasic, who's been, you know, he's had some moments too, but again, hasn't really been consistent. At, at this point, you know, this defensive line, if they're wanting to make a bowl game, it is crucial that they step up because this secondary, we've said, okay, maybe changing some guys around in the secondary will help. Maybe getting some guys back from injury will help. No, this defensive line has to help this secondary out by getting pressure on the quarterbacks. They haven't gotten pressure the last two weeks, and they've been picked apart by guys and Bryce Perkins and Kenny Pickett, who you know are, are solid guys. Perkins a little bit better than Pickett, but aren't really guys that you would expect to stand back there and tear you apart. Oh, yeah, and that's just something that – Jay Bateman and, and the guys on the defensive staff have got to find a way to generate that kind of pressure. And you saw that early in the year. Well, even if it was Crawford and Strobridge getting doubles, he was finding ways to get Fox or whoever in the backfield mm-hmm. and cause a little bit of havoc. That dissipated pretty much, it felt like after the Duke game, the whole ability to get to the quarterback without sending Gimmel or Surratt on a blitz. And Carolina just isn't good enough in its back four to hold up. Maybe next year they'll be a little bit more built to do that. If you want to send a man or two on a blitz, not this year. Well, I mean, when they when they have to send pressure, usually they have to send both Gemmel and Surratt to try to get in there. And that leaves everybody in the secondary one-on-one, including both of your safeties. So there's no safety help over the top for these corners. And... I mean, look, some of these guys are still young. Some of them just really probably don't have the talent, if we're being real honest, to you know play at the ACC level and play against these types of receivers that they're going up against, and, and it's costing them. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, one of the other things that Jay Bateman brought up yesterday in his press conference was communication was key. And uh, we heard earlier in the week from the mother of one of the seniors that will be out there on Saturday, Graham Eklund, his mother, Neva, uh, she commented. Um, and she said, you know, look, you know, I agree that, you know, um, you know, there's definitely been some guys struggling back there, but the communication has really dissipated since the loss of Patrice Renee and Miles Wolfolk. So, um, I mean, that's that seems to be a pretty big issue, especially with, uh, with with the safeties at this point, right? DJ Ford definitely, you know, having his struggles. That's one of the reasons why Don Chapman's going to be coming in for him on, on Saturday. Yeah, it's no surprise that your your communication broke down when you lose a senior corner who's your best guy in the secondary. And Wolfolk, before the injury, was a guy that we saw in, uh, in both the South Carolina and Miami games, 
was very active in terms of talking to the other guys, getting them in the right spots, right, and everything like that. It's no surprise. Um, you maybe would have liked to see the coaching kind of fix that, but look, these guys are young. Jay Bateman and Dre Blyer, their first year together, learning how to work together. So it'll get fixed um, next year when you bring in all the talent, and then you, you're you're going to get Renee and Wolfolk back. So you, you expect right. it to be a little more cleaned up in that area, but it still doesn't hurt the or doesn't help the fact that the the defensive lines drop off has been drastic, and it's just hurt the defense as a whole. Yeah, no, I mean the first the you know the lack of pressure, and and that's why it's a key just about every week when we look at you know whoever the Tar Heels are matched up again. E- even in this game against Mercer, I feel like the defensive line has to play really well. And and you know, that's the thing when you don't get any pressure on these quarterbacks, you're allowing them to stand back there and pick your secondary apart. I mean, we got, you know, there there's times where quarterbacks are standing back there 5, 6, 7 seconds with all the time in the world. And, you know, the defensive line just hasn't been able to get there. Look, I know there were some def- de- definitely some moments the other night against Pittsburgh where, you know, it looked like some of the guys got held. But, look, they're, they're not calling it. you still got to find ways to get there. And my thing is, is, you know, especially after the Virginia game, a lot of people were saying, well, they're getting the ball out quickly. That's, you know, what's, what's hurting this Tar Heel defensive line from being able to get there. I get that on a little bit – you know, on a certain level, if you're getting the ball out one or two seconds after you drop back, I mean that's fine. You're literally dropping back, throwing a quick slant or something. Makes sense. But they're not. Hold- I mean, there are times where these guys are holding on to the ball. It's really this simple. Guys aren't winning at the line of scrimmage, and they, you know, they got to figure it and out. And that's as Kirk Herbstreit has told us for over a decade now. That's where the game of football is won. And it's it's I mean it's true. It's is true. that the line of scrimmage, the point of attack? That's French warfare. Right. Carolina hasn't won that consistently enough to make it to make an impact on the defense. Especially side. in the games they've lost. That's been the biggest issue. When then when they right. fall short, it's because they didn't come up in the trenches. Right. All right. So uh let's uh let's give our key to the game uh for the Mercer game. Am I supposed to have a key for Mercer? Like mine's mine's defensive line gotta get pressure. But basically just you know, I, I mean this might even be for it maybe it's a little bit of a bigger overall key is just gain some momentum defensively for the game against NC State. That's my key for the whole the whole team. I'm not going to point in a position group. These guys just kind of they've got to bounce back. They've had some rough losses. Right. Gain some confidence going into Raleigh because it's going to be primetime kick over there with it now being a 7 o'clock kickoff. So way to ruin that. That was in the forty yard dash. Yep. Congratulations. Had to had to get my, my my thing in there, but you know, this is this is your last chance to have it to, to put to get all the kinks out for what could be the final game of the year before you go to a potential bowl game. So right. offensively when you get in the red zone, capitalize. Defensively, hey, get some pressure on that quarterback or quarterbacks and make some plays. Win at the line of scrimmage. Maybe get some turnovers. This defense has got has, has got to, yeah. and this feels like a game because we all know turnovers. They um, 
they come in batches. So if you can get a couple of them this week, maybe they'll carry over when you go to NC State. I mean, yeah, you're right. They really haven't been consistent since we lost Miles Wolfolk in the secondary. He was a guy that was creating those turnovers early in the season. Um, you know, we saw a few of them against Duke. That's one of the. That's pretty much the reason they won that game was by creating turnovers, especially the one on the goal line at the end. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, creating a few turnovers would definitely be nice. And that's kind of where my focus is, too. Like you said, I think I'm going to broaden my key just a little bit. It's gain momentum defensively. I'm not that concerned about the offense. The red zone offense, yeah, and that's something that they've got to work on. I don't, I'm don't. i kind of with you. I don't know if that's going to be fixed in season. I think that's something where they're going to have to sit down after the year is over and actually go through it and discuss it on a different level. And I think Mac might even go back and look at some of his calls back at Ole Miss and say, look, we've got to figure out what you're doing wrong in the red zone, why it's not working out, and change some of the fundamental things about the offense in the red zone to be able to score. But defensively, look, you know, let, let's – Show some consistent pressure to this Mercer passing attack. Don't let them pick you apart. And the secondary, I mean, look, just gain some confidence. These are receivers that you should be able to, you know, have a little bit of success against. Let's see you guys do that and and defensively come out, put out, put up a great performance, and head into NC State with a little bit of confidence because it is going to be a tough game to finish the season. Now, look, Georgia Tech's favored against NC State in that game. Believe it or not, they are a two-point favorite. Yes, at home. Um, I mean, NC State's got to go on the road, but it doesn't matter. One way or the other, State's going to come in motivated. Either they're going to have their bowl chances on the line, or they're going to come in 4-7 and seven and want to knock off Carolina to have a chance to keep us out of a bowl game, it seems. So you got to come ready for that game. Best way to do that, come out, put up a great performance against Mercer, and you'll be able to, uh, to get it done. So who's the guy that we'll be talking about uh, once again is over? No, no Sam Howell uh, allowed still. That's the rule. You can say Surratt on defense. That's back on because he had a tough week uh, last week. But Sam Howell, still off limits. Uh, I'll go on the offensive side. Give me, I think, Daz Newsome builds off what he did at Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, as this offense, I think we'll have no problem moving the ball up and down the field, especially through the air. Defensively, right. yeah, I'll take Surratt because he, he, he had his, his moments, Pittsburgh, where he looked like a first-year linebacker. Um, at certain times, missing misses some plays. That was tackles. probably his worst game. Yeah, of the by year. far. And would, it took till game ten so. for us to kind of say something negative about him. But yeah, yeah. so I, I think Newsom builds on his best game of the year. Surratt rebounds from his worst game of the year, and what will be a Carolina victory? I'll say forty nine fourteen. Okay, so I did want to read off a couple of injury updates for you, and I do this because this prefaces one of the guys that I'm going to pick for one of my players of the game. Javante Williams and Marcus McKeithen, both guys suffered injuries against Pittsburgh. Javante Williams, an upper body injury, of course, came into the game with the ankle injury um, from the game against Virginia. It seems like that's fine. He did suffer an upper body injury, but they say that he is practicing and he is expected to go, Um, but that might be in a little bit of a limited capacity. Marcus McKeithen, the offensive guard who has played the entire season so far for Carolina, uh, one of the guys that's, you know, granted had his up and down moments, but has been a consistent guy down there. Um, you know, they're you know, saying it, it's not too major of an injury. He didn't return in the game against Pittsburgh, so we don't know, you know, 
how honest they're really being with that, but we'll see how much he'll actually play. The good news is Nick Polino is a full go as he was in the game against Pittsburgh. So uh, he is, as of right now, listed as the backup at both the left guard and right guard position. Still have Marcus McKeith in there as the starter, but if needed, uh, Nick Polino can fill in there at right guard. So that's a big break for the Tar Heels if McKeith is not able to play all that much. And Trey Morrison also hoping to play after he did not travel with the team to Pittsburgh. Uh, he struggled, of course, in his first game back against Virginia. Fell, I, I'm assuming the staff kind of just felt maybe they rushed him a little bit uh, to try and get him back against Virginia, try to keep the Tar Heels' hopes uh, of an ACC championship a game appearance alive. Um, and maybe that was the reason they brought him back against Virginia. Felt it would be better to uh, rest him and make sure that he's pretty much ready for the end of the season against State. Um, so we'll see if he'll be out there against Mercer. But that uh, it, it pretty much with Javante Williams being banged up, it is senior day. I feel like Antonio Williams can build off of last week against Pittsburgh. Uh, that's you know a team that he's had a lot of success against. We've seen with Javante Williams a little banged up that Antonio Williams has benefited from it. Michael Carter, uh, you know, had you know 11 carries, 34 yards the other night against Pittsburgh. Not great. Uh, Antonio Williams uh, looked about as good as he's looked, uh, you know, really his entire career at Carolina, and he's running hard. Mac Brown said that he's one of the hardest workers on the team. I think he's going to be rewarded with that and have a nice game for the Tar Heels uh, on Saturday. And then on the defensive line, uh, you know, I think, you know what, I think uh, I'll go with another senior. I think Alan Cater has a nice day um, on the defensive side of the football, and I'm going with the D-line. We need some guys that put pressure on the quarterback. I feel like Alan Cater could be that guy that steps up for Carolina. I think he has a nice day as the Tar Heels uh, take on Mercer. So now let's do the uh, let's do our predictions. You want to go first or you want me to go first? I already gave my prediction, 49-14 Carolina. I did not even hear that. There we go. 49-14, wow, pretty good. Uh, I will go, man, I think the Tar Heels finally get into the 50s this, this week. I think they go 52-17 to 17 in favor of Carolina over Mercer. Uh, take home the senior day victory, and they will set up a huge matchup at the end of the season with the NC State Wolfpack. So that means it is time to wrap this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast up, and we'll do that with the 40-yard dash. And we start the 40-yard dash with the 2020 class. Two commits already have state championships. Of course, it started on Friday night. You guys probably saw the article and as well uh, the video after the state championship win for 2024 star defensive tackle Kedrick Bingley-Jones. Him and the Providence State Chargers took home the NCISAA Division II Championship. Make sure you guys go back on the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page. Check out that video uh, of us interviewing Kedrick, uh, who was very excited after the game. Great young man as well to talk to. Uh, glad we got to be out there and watch him win a state championship. Uh, his first uh, as a senior at Providence Day. And then also on Saturday night, and in the same place where Carolina 
uh, fell on Thursday night, Heinz Field. A.J. Beattie took home the WPIAL Class 6A state championship in the state of Pennsylvania. The three-star strong side defensive end closes his season out with a bang. And again, we are trying to uh, we're trying to get him on the podcast. Uh, haven't heard back from him just yet, but if we do, we will have him on the podcast as well to talk about his state title win. Um, a little bit, not not breaking news, but a little bit of significant news in the 2021 class. The Tar Heels are now the favorite for tw- uh, 2021 four-star inside linebacker Power Eccles. Uh, he went and took a visit to Clemson over the weekend. Apparently that did not go as well as many had hoped uh, from a Clemson perspective. And so now uh, the feeling is that he is a... I'm going to say, I'm not going to say Tar Heel lean, but he's definitely a guy that's back in play for the Tar Heels. Many people thought that Clemson uh, was pretty much in the driver's seat firmly, and unless something major happened, they would not be relinquishing their lead anytime soon. All of a sudden, you know, after the visit, people are starting to say that it's a little more wide open. Don't really know exactly what happened there, but uh, looks like the Tar Heels will have a chance at one of the more talented players in the 2021 class out of the state. Uh, he and the Vance Cougars, they will go up against another big-time Tar Heel linebacker target in Trenton Simpson and Mallard Creek on Friday night, uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on that game. And then the uh, final announcement of the week, of course, uh, my beautiful assistant Josh decided to uh, go ahead and give you guys uh, that as a little bit of a spoiler in the middle of the episode. The NC State game has been set for a 7 o'clock kickoff on ACC Network on the 30th of November. The Tar Heels uh, avoid a single noon or 12.30 kickoff this season. Now, I was thinking about this. Yes, did Raycom, now with them being only on Fox Sports South, they don't have a 12.30 slot anymore, right? That's that's gone unless I'm just thinking wrong because I don't remember seeing a 12.30 game this year. Uh, yeah, and no, I think the ACC Network acquired the 12.30 kickoff or the 12 kickoff. or one, Yeah, 12. I think it's a noon kickoff at times. But even that, they haven't really utilized it as much this year. So I don't think that – I think the concern about these noon kickoffs can kind of dissipate a little bit. Um, you know, I think – I'm not overly concerned right now about the Toriels having a noon kickoff anytime soon. One Toriel fan told me yesterday the reason they have no noon kickoffs, Mac Brown told them we don't have noon kickoffs. Pretty much threatened them. So, interesting perspective. Nonetheless, the Tar Heels will not be kicking off a single game at noon. It'll be a 7 p.m. kickoff for a big-time rivalry game against NC State. And, of course, as we mentioned, you guys can find that on ACC Network. We'll have you covered here on the Heel Tough blog leading up to it. All the previews, uh, all the recaps that you need, stock reports, and everything uh, as we head towards the close of the 2019 season. It's been an exciting season now. Let's see if the Tar can close it down and make a bowl game in Mac Brown's first year back. So, again, 
Told you about all the articles that we're going to have. The only place you can check those out, HeelToughBlog.com. Make sure you guys go there. Check out all the football articles. We have everything that you need from this past week against Pittsburgh. We'll have everything that you need for the Mercer game, as well as uh, the scouting report on Kedrick Bingley-Jones. We're going to be heading out to Myers Park High School this week for Audrey Kell and Myers Park. That one's going to be a huge game for two uh, 2020 commits. You got uh, for Audrey Kell, Cedric Gray, who we saw earlier in the year. Um, he's going to be playing both sides of the ball again for Audrey Kell as they look to pull a major upset against Myers Park, one of the best teams in the state. They're somehow a four seed in what is just a brutal four double A bracket uh, that is taking place in the state of North Carolina right now. That playoff bracket is loaded. Um, Cameron Roseman Sinclair will be the guy uh, that you need to keep an eye on in that one. We'll have you covered in that one. Have the scouting reports. Have the interview with the winner of that game. We will not interview the guy that loses that game. Uh, we'll, we'll let him kind of go on and 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 you know get ready for Carolina. But uh, whoever pulls out the victory, we'll have that interview for you, and it'll be up for you guys on Friday, uh, as well as great basketball coverage. We got the Elon game that's coming up tomorrow night in the Smith Center. Uh, that is the Tar Heels' last um, real easy opponent before they head out to take you know get ready to play the battle of battle for Atlantis battle for Atlantis um thought it was the battle of Atlantis but battle for Atlantis um when they will take on Alabama so make sure you guys check out all that of course we will have you covered with everything when the team goes out to the Bahamas as well and of course you can check out the podcast there the Roy's Boys podcast that's right at the top just uh, scroll to the top of the page right next to the Heel Tough Vlog podcast tab is the Roy's Boys podcast tab you can hit it there so once again want to thank Josh for for being with me to preview this game against Mercer. I want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Tar Heels!